Let me see if anybody else in this room remembers this moment in your life. For me, it happened like this. I saw my first one. Got in my friend's car. His name was Marty. And we were in a band together. We were traveling to go play music somewhere. And I sit in the passenger seat. And and on his dashboard, he's got this device. It's like a computer. It's like a TV screen. And he punches in the address to where we're going to go. And he hits go. And magic happened. It knew where to go. And it was like a map. And it gave turn-by-turn directions. Does anybody remember the first time you saw a GPS in a car? Like, boo! Now, there's people in the room who are like, wait, there, hasn't there always been GPS in cars? Uh, you know, some of you are, are young enough to not really remember that moment, man. But, but remember life before GPS? Remember maps? Like, my wife and I, we used to, ha- we were kind of like proud of our map collection in our glove compartment, like North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, and you go to it, we fly to a state, we get a state map, just in case, you know, we ever drive there. Uh, you know, parks that we would camp at, like all these things, and uh, we would... The, the, the role of the navigator in the era of the map, very important. You could make it or break it, the trip, right? And there's these moments where like, you know, uh, there's a traffic jam and a sly navigator would be like, that's okay, I'll get us around. You know, and then, then there was the art of folding maps. That was the whole thing. But you could get there because you're really relying on someone to sit there and tell you where to go, especially if you didn't know where, where you were. The map, now there was an intermediate stage. Do you remember MapQuest? That was a beautiful phase. It was awkward, it's like the teenage years of GPS. It was awkward. Um, but you know, you, 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 it, was, it was digital, but you had to do it at home first. You would sit on your computer, you would type it out, and then don't lie, who printed off the directions? You printed them off, you put a staple in the upper left-hand corner. That's right, you keep that sucker with you because then you are prepared. You're on it, right? Um, MapQuest, it was awkward. We, we went through it together, but then came GPS on our phones. And it's, it's like everything. It's everywhere now. And, but I'm with my friend Marty, and we, we're driving, and there's like this little, I don't know if it was an arrow or if it was a little car. Remember TomTom? We were hanging out with TomTom. That's who we were with. Maybe you had a Garmin. I think those were the two main ones. And it was like our little car, and I was just fixated. It's like the whole trip. I'm like, this, so the whole time we're just going to, it knows the whole map? Like, who put it in there? How does it know to turn left in 2.5 miles? How does it know there's a merged lane? Like, how does it, like, blowing my mind. You Don't pretend like you weren't there, too. We were all there. But then something happened. We missed our turn. This is the magic. You drive past, the little blue line keeps going left, and we're going straight. And I'm like, oh, no. Where are we? And the box speaks. What did it say? It didn't say rerouting. That's what your phone says. It said recalculating, recalculating. Yeah, rerouting, same thing. Our phones say rerouting. But that was the phrase. I don't know which brand said it. Re- and I remember that. I was like, recalculating? What do you mean? And then sure enough, doop, 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 doop. And we didn't even have to U-turn. Like, it was like, no, I know a different way. <laughs> it's like hanging out with your grandpa. I know a different way. It was so cool. Okay, rerouting. I mean, sorry, recalculating. Rerouting works too. Recalculating. That's a word that I want to start us off on today because it's really going to get to the heart of what I believe might be the most important message for your life ever. And I'm going to make a case for that today. And I'm going to challenge you today to do some recalculating. This past weekend was our men's retreat. I'm, I'm sporting my men's retreat t-shirt. Our theme was pulse check. We want to have a heart for God. And there's a couple of guys wearing your shirts today. Uh, so either they wash their shirt like I did, or you might want to sit 
just a little farther away because we were in front of a campfire the whole weekend. Uh, I told them to ring it out and bring it on Sunday. Um, but um, the whole idea, the whole weekend was about uh, recalculating. The pulse check, the idea that we came at the weekend was with, you know, guys, we're in a messed up world, especially in this, this like last year and a half. It's been hard, hasn't it? Even church is weird. Can I just say that? Like we don't know what community really feels like in some ways and we don't know what it means to really, and I gotta tell you something guys, I think we've been doing it wrong for a couple of months. I think that, I think that there's a part of us that wants us to go back to the way it was. I don't think that's an option. The world is different. And just like when you miss your turn and the GPS says recalculating, you can't go back to where it was. You already missed that turn. We've got to start where we are and rebuild and recalculate. So that was the pulse check of the men's retreat. And I'll get back to the men's retreat stuff in, in a little bit. But um, we're in this teaching series called The Road. And uh, the whole idea is this. Last week we introduced you to The Road. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. And that was an audacious claim. And, and he backed it up. And that's what we talked about last week. Go check it out on our podcast. We, we archive our sermon uh, videos on YouTube as well. Um, but that was, that was the case we made last week. But, but still, that's just the beginning parts of the road. Because it's one thing to know that the road is there. It's another thing to kind of be on the road. You've missed your turn before, right? And how, how often have you missed a turn? You're like, ah, oh, that's right there but I don't have four-wheel drive you know I can't get over there and so so there's this process of kind of getting on the road and all throughout the Bible there's a word that is used over and over and over and over and over it is the summary of what I would say maybe the summary of the entire Bible cover to cover in one word and the word is repentance Every Old Testament prophet, every king worth his salt who finally figured out his problems, the judges, the teachers of the law, anyone who was coming and understanding what it meant to serve God understood that what it means is repentance. Now, repentance is granted a kind of a churchy word. It's a theological word. You, you might get it. There's some basic ideas. If you look through the Old Testament, there's a couple of different words it was, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. We translated it into English today. So there were a couple of Hebrew words that we translated into the word repent or repentance. And they carried with them this idea. Uh, one of the basic ideas was this idea of to be moved to pity or remorse. And so you've got this idea of, you know, I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm sad about what I did. You know, and it's when you see a little kid and you pop him on the hand because he did whatever he wasn't supposed to do. And it's like this moment of like, oh, I regret <laughs> and so that's part of repentance, but a more weighty understanding of it, and these Hebrew words really help us, is that not only is it this feeling of pity and, and, and sadness because I made a mistake, there's this shift in my mind that happens. I change my mind and I say, wait, that didn't go well. Something needs to be different. And then there's kind of a next step of it that leads to a shift in my actions, and we see this uh, definition that I, I'm going to kind of work with today, that, that repentance is a change in my mind that leads to a change in my actions. I can't just know that I missed my turn. Cool, missed my turn. Guess we're going to Ohio. <laughs> no, I can't just know that I missed it. It's not just a change in my mind. It's got to lead to something. It's got to motivate us to change in some way. 
an everyday picture of repentance might be something like, you know, I, I, maybe I'm trying to drink uh, more healthy drinks and I'm trying to put down soda. You guys who know me for long, you know I have a long-standing love-hate relationship with soda. I love soda. I need to back off. I need some more. I need to back off. Maybe you feel that way about chocolate or some other thing, right? So, but let's say, let's say I'm trying to drink more water. I go to the fridge, open it up, and I have done myself the favor of filling it with like a 24-box case of Dr. Pepper. There it is. And it's already icy cold. Praise the Lord. And I get there, and I open it, and I grab the can, and it fits so perfectly. It's ergonomically designed for comfort. (sighs) But I was going to drink more water today, and I haven't had any. Repentance is a change in mind. Okay. I'll eat it with, drink it with dinner. That leads to a change in action, which is me going to the cabinet, getting a glass, putting some ice in it, going to the faucet, and it's good. Water's fine. It's good, right? <laughs> that's repentance. And it's, it's, a, it's a basic idea of repentance. Like when you think about repentance, you're often thinking about like sin and hell and fire and damnation. And uh, yeah, that's part of, that's the God's narrative of repentance, especially when it comes to the things that separate us from God. That kind of chasm we talked about last week. The reason we need a road, the reason Jesus is the way is because of our brokenness, because of our sin and our disobedience. But repentance says, I need to change something in my mind. And at least in a change in action, and thank the Lord God made a way for us, gave us a road, and now I'm going to get back on that road. It's a turn. And sometimes it's a 180-degree turn. Sometimes it's just a little shift. Oh. Sometimes we spin around for a minute trying to find out where we're supposed to go. But that's the heart of what repentance is. Last week we asked the question, what type of person do you want to be? Another way I asked it was, what do you imagine your legacy will be. Another way of asking that question is, how do you want to honor God with your life? And none of those things will point at God unless we recalculate. And it's not something you just do once. It's something you do constantly, constantly, constantly. Um, There's A part of the idea of repentance, I said it was the summary of the whole Bible. I said it might be the most important lesson you ever learn. And and I think the reason I think that is because when we meet Jesus, when he hits the scene, do you know what his very first sermon was? This is a summary. This is like the Cliff's Notes version of Jesus' first sermon. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus hits the scene and he just says, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But something's changed here. The kingdom of heaven is near. Like in the Old Testament times, the nation of Israel, as they're seeking God, and if you know the story of the Old Testament, it's pretty, it's a roller coaster. The the nation of Israel is constantly seeking God and then falling away, and seeking God and then falling away, and seeking God and then falling away. And God is constantly calling them to repentance. Recalculate, turn back to me. By the time you get to Jesus, though, he says this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. See, the whole message of Jesus is like, I am God, and I put on flesh, and I came near. The old word for that is Emmanuel, God with us. That's the point of Jesus, that God came near. And so he says, listen, if ever there were a time to recalculate, this is it, because I've shown up and I've made a way. 
And it continues on into the beginnings of the church when the very first sermon is preached at the very first church services, which is what I call Acts chapter 2, uh, the day of Pentecost. And you've got the apostles preaching, and you've got the apostle Peter who gets up to preach, and he preaches this sermon about, about, about sin, about veering away from God, turning our backs on God, ultimately about how Jesus was the Messiah, how he gave his life, how he rose from the dead. And he's like, and all you guys, you guys just watched it happen. And you know what the crowd said? It says they were cut to the heart and they said, brothers, what should we do to be saved? Look at, Jesus, look at Peter's first response, Acts 2.38. Peter replied, repent. Now, I want to pause there because we get real excited about the rest of it. Repent and be baptized. We love getting baptized. Man, that's like this moment. Uh, and we love celebrating baptism. We love that. And he says, be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, I love the forgiveness of my sins. That's the best part. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's presence. Sweet. And so there's all this stuff. But we can't rush past the first word. Recalculate. Change your mind and change your actions. We've got to repent We can't continue to live in the same old garbage and expect God to just bless that. In, in the modern church, we, we, it's so tempting to just kind of do these topical thoughts about the Bible. The Bible's there to help my marriage. The Bible's there to help me be successful. The Bible's there to help me with my depression. The Bible's there to help me overcome an addiction. The Bible ain't there for any of that. The Bible is there. The message of Jesus is to inform us that there is a holy God who loves you and he wants you to be in his presence but you're messed up but it's okay because he's got a plan for that do all the little nuances of our life matter yes God cares about your marriage he cares about your kids he cares about your addiction he cares about your suffering your uh, your depression he cares about all that we can't use the Bible like a reference book in the library, though. We're like, oh, what does that word mean? Marriage. Oh, okay, okay, got it. Boop, and walk away. It's a story of God's love, and it's a call to repentance. Jesus is teaching one time, Matthew chapter 7, and he says, Matthew 7, verse 24, he gives this little parable, and it's a picture you may have seen before, you may have heard before. Let me just share the story with you like Jesus was, kind of did it. He said, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Just time out there. That makes sense. So God says, listen, I'm teaching you all these things. If you will do these things, it's a good foundation. It's a building metaphor. The second half, we understand this. We live at the beach. We've experienced hurricanes. Here's the second half of the story. So the rain came down. The streams rose up. The wind blew and beat against the house. <laughs> that happens. That's life coming at us. Yet this house didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. What's the metaphor? What is building your house on sand? It is hearing the words of God and not putting them into practice. Changing in my mind that leads to a changing in my action. The rain came down, the streams rose up, the wind blew and beat against the house, and the house fell with a great crash. Guys, we live in an era where we want to tolerate everything because it's kind. And it's like the only options are 
kind of be a pushover and be soft or just be really mean and angry? It's like, does it feel like that's like, am I wrong? Like, feel like when it comes to our, our holiness and our seeking God, like, we either have to just be okay with everybody, every, all the time, everywhere, and even my own mess, or like you have these people who stand on street corners with like, God hates fill in the blank with whatever thing they hate, and God doesn't hate anybody. <laughs> in fact, he loves us. When I see my kids misbehaving, and I come to them, and I apply discipline of some kind, it's not because I hate them. It's not because I want them to fail and feel bad about themselves. It's because I want them to do good. I want them to succeed. I want them to not be hurt the way that I know that the things that they're doing might hurt them. God is described as a father for that reason. Because we are his children and he loves us. Sometimes as parents we apply a little bit of pressure when we see like this is really dangerous. You need to get away from this. And I think that's the way that God works in in our lives as well. This is really dangerous. That's why there's really big boundaries around some things. And other things are a little bit more gray. And we can debate and discuss those all day. My wife has introduced me to Laura Ingalls Wilder. Uh, I thought she was just uh, the little girl on the TV show with Michael Landon. Um, Little House on the Prairie. But turns out there's books. Um, (laughs) And uh, she's a great writer. And she wrote really great stories about prairie days and their travels from, I don't know where, somewhere in the Midwest to somewhere where there's no hills. And uh, and, and as she writes it down, you you learn she's also a bit of a uh, philosopher and a theologian. The theologian. She's got some good thoughts. And she, she has this thought that I, I don't remember how I found this, but um, it was some, something that Laura Ingalls Wilder wrote. And she talked about, she was talking about basically repentance. She was talking about sin in our life. Here's some advice Laura Ingalls Wilder gave. She said, when you sin, you should read 1 John chapter 3. You should write this down. 1 John chapter 3. You should read 1 John chapter 3 and then read Psalm chapter 51. Now, I did that. Uh, Actually, I learned that probably like six years ago. And there have been many times in my life where I was like, oh, shoot. What was that again? Oh, 1 John chapter 3, and then I read Psalm 51. Homework assignment. Do that. Unless you hadn't sinned, then I guess you can wait. Um, We're not going to read all of 1 John chapter 3. We're not going to read all of Psalm 51. But I do want to read a portion of Psalm 51 because this is a place. Let me give you the context. We actually talked through this whole chapter uh, a couple months ago. We did that teaching series through the Psalms called Playlist. And we landed on Psalm 51. What happens in Psalm 51 is King David, he was the king of the Jewish people uh, in in ancient times. You read about him in the Old Testament. And King David had had a really big blunder. He had had, uh, committed adultery. He had sinned against his wife. He had sinned against God. Not only that, he had taken some other man's wife. He had caused her to be pregnant. He had been so messed up about it that he had the husband killed in battle. Like, it's messed up. Okay, it's messed up. And he felt bad about it. <laughs> he did some recalculating. He did some praying. And, and Psalm 51 is the result of his prayer time. And I love this sentence. And, and I want you to, men at the men's retreat, um, I mean, everyone can pick up on this, but we talked about a heart for God. It's kind of our, our big goal. Listen to this heart language. And everyone hear that too, but listen to this heart language. Psalm says, create in me... A pure heart, oh God. By the way, you can just straight use this as a prayer. I have done it many times. Create in me a pure heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then... 
This is kind of like a follow-up. He's like, Lord, if you'll make me clean, then I'll have an option. I'll have uh, an opportunity, an ability to do this. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. That word turn back is the same concept as repentance, by the way, recalculating Change in mind, change in action. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, oh God. Remember, he's guilty of murder in this one case. He was also a soldier, a warrior for years. He carried a lot of guilt. We see that in the Psalms. He did what was his duty. He did what he, but he dealt with that guilt. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, oh God. You who are my God and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. In fact, I love this invitation. Lord, open up my lips. And I will declare your praises. You ever felt like I can't even pray? I can't even worship because, man, I missed the turn a long time ago. I love this, this honest prayer. David's like, Lord, I can't do it. <laughs> but will you open up my lips so I can declare your praise? You see the shift in his mind that is shifting in his actions. He wants to worship. He wants to do some things. And he says... You do not delight in sac- this is this is crazy. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. Wait, time out. Wait, God doesn't delight in our sacrifice. You're telling me that the volunteers who showed up at seven thirty this morning to make sure we set up church because we're doing it for God, God doesn't delight in that. You're telling me for the generations when people uh, who gave you know uh, sacrifices of, at the temple of, of of animals or whether it was you know their offerings, money, or whether it was their grain that they or their prayers, God doesn't delight in that. I'll get back to that. He says, "You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not ple- take pleasure in burnt offering. My sacrifice, O God." is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Over and over in Scripture, a prophet, a man of God, a woman of God, uh, an apostle, a teacher, will come to a group of people and say, listen, why are you doing all this stuff for God if your heart is not for him? He loves our praises He loves your service. He loves your sacrifices, but that's not what he wants. He doesn't need you for that. What he wants is your heart. What he wants is repentance. So we're at the men's retreat, and um, we had this great weekend. It was supposed to rain the whole time. It didn't. (laughs) rained at night, which is when you want it to rain. It helps you sleep. It was beautiful. It was great, and it was so cool sitting around uh, our campfire several different times. We had some sessions, and we, we got deep, and we also got super silly. Like, for example, I don't know whose idea it was to go canoeing at 2 a.m. Um, oh, that was me? Well, y'all kept me up playing stupid board games, so I blame you. No, we, we did ridiculous stuff. We ate fried chicken, which was awesome. We did, we, 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 it was fun, but beyond the fun was the, the joy of getting to just be people who were like, you know what, it's okay that I'm not okay, but there's a God who's good. Let's talk about that. And we just kept talking about pointing our hearts back to God, pointing our hearts back to God, pointing our hearts back to God. And it was so empowering to see man after man after man speak up. People that, uh, look, guys, we all know, there was like 16 of us around that circle, and there were a few of us that spoke up that you're like, wow, I didn't ever think that you might speak up, but you did. And so to have those moments... Um, We did some recalculating this weekend. And each one of us said we want to do different. We've had some changes in our minds and our heart. Church. 
Can I invite you to something? As our pastor, and if you know me, you know that I don't see myself on any pedestal. I'm not special. I just happen to run my mouth a lot, and I know how to turn the microphone on. And uh, so we're all in this thing together. But as our, as our pastor in that way, I, I got a challenge for us. My challenge is that we as a church, as a family, now the church is worldwide. There's lots of church families. That we as a church repent. When you see repentance in the Old Testament, it actually isn't often seen as an individual response. It's more often, unless I'm wrong, and you guys might have read it better than me, but you more often see the nation repenting. Because it's what we're all doing collectively to teach our children. It's what we're all doing collectively to impact the world around us, to shine the light in dark places and all those things that we talk about. And every generation or so, someone would come along and they would say, we need to repent on behalf of our people. Um, over the course of the shutdown, it was easy for us to bunker in and it's easy for community to go to the wayside and, and there were safety concerns and there was health concerns and, there was, and it was convenient because, man, we're streaming online right now. <laughs> I don't even have to leave my living room. I could go to church. Um, but the mission of the church is, one, that each one of us would turn our heart to God, but then that we would be a light in this place. We are missionaries I haven't said this recently. I used to say it a lot, and I need to repent of that. I didn't move here to be a pastor of a church when we came to start Venture Church. I came here to be a missionary to a city. And I didn't come here to help people to have a church to attend. I came here to recruit fellow missionaries to this city. I love what we do here on Sunday morning. It's great, but that's not why we're in this place. We are here to make this place to bring the kingdom of God near to the people around us. And I think that individually, maybe a lot of us have come to that conclusion over and over and over again. That's what it means to be a believer, and maybe you're still working on that. And that's cool. This is a safe place for your questions and your, your journey. That's cool. But I know I can speak for our elders, for our staff, and for that group of men that was at our retreat this weekend, that as a church, we want to recalculate we need to repent. What does that mean? Well, I don't know what it means for you in your life. But what I think it means collectively is that we need to make sure everything we do is about having a clean heart towards God. That is bringing him first our best. With our time, with our jobs, with our relationships, with our purity. The things we let to go into our eyes and come out of our mouth the way we treat people. I could rant that list all day long, but I don't have to because you know what it is. Let me give you a couple tools for the journey. One, don't do this by yourself. Don't travel alone. Repentance is hard. It takes accountability. It takes scheduling. So our first trip for travel is don't travel alone. There's a scripture, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need this together. Repentance is a, is, is a, is a family game. <laughs> Moms and dads, talk about it. Then pull your kids in. Say, hey, there's some stuff we're watching on TV that, you know what, maybe we should stop watching that on TV. There's some ways we're treating each other and the ways that mom and dad have been talking to each other. That's not how we love each other, and we shouldn't do that. We repent of that. There's some things I'm allowing you to do, and there's a reason why I don't think you should do it, but it's not just because I'm a stick in the mud. It's because... <sighs> 
it's not safe for your soul and your heart. And I don't want to help you with that. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Second tip for the journey. Use the GPS. In the world. Okay, it's, it's too cute. I don't like these kind of things. But there's a map, okay? The Bible is so much more than a map. It's not a reference book. Uh, it's not a self-help book. It's also not a map. But hopefully you'll understand what I mean. That there is, there is a guide um, and we've got to be in God's word. We're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the word of God is alive and active, and that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, and that it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So when we're in God's word, we can understand repentance. Why? Because God's word convicts us and shows us the way and helps us. Not to stomp us down because he's mean, but because he loves us as a father and he wants to lift us up. But don't do that alone, again. I mean, yeah, do it alone. Read your Bibles by yourself. But discuss it. Talk about it. Be in groups as you do it. And the third tip for the journey is this. Guard your heart. The heart, the mind, it's the same idea. Uh, I've got a a student driver in my life. My son Silas turned 15 a few weeks ago, and uh, he's got his permit. Now, I'm not going to be that dad who's like, oh, watch out. Stay off the road. My son's driving. Because I'm going to tell you what, he's doing a good job. He's a safe driver. He's a good driver. Um, But I'll tell you one thing that I say a lot. Oh, stay in your lane. (laughs) Oh, stay in your lane. Now, here's the thing. He's like, I know, Dad. I know I should stay in my lane. Um, But if you've ever ridden with a student driver, you you, kind of low-key think you might die the whole time, right? Um, You're like, it could happen. And, you know, it, but, you know, so, so you want to give these little tips without stressing them out. Stay in your lane. Now, I love what our government has done for us. Not like all of the things, but some of the things. And one of the things the government has done for us is they've acquired, required that we paint these lines on the road that are about wide enough for your car to be in there and then swerve a little bit. And so isn't it beautiful that we have those lanes? If we can stay in our lane, we can be safe. Metaphorically, I mean, some people are idiots, but... You know what I mean, right? And the reason I don't want my son to veer is because we might hit another car. And, and so it's the same idea as guardrails. We have those guardrails. Now, when you hit the guardrail, you've, you, you, you hit the line, you hit the rumble strip, you hit the, I mean, you're, it's just, someone needs to take your license, like the guardrail. But let's call it a guardrail, okay? And we need to guard our hearts. And you know how we guard our heart? We find our lane We find the lane where God wants us, where we can be the best version of ourselves, and most importantly, where we can be holy. It's not about perfection. God has given us really wide lanes. He also has got a lot of grace. He's that cop that comes to the window and says, you going to do better? All right, move along. He, He wants us to keep driving. But we need to guard our hearts. Stay in the lane. Um... We're standing around the fire in the men's retreat in our last moment. And I challenged our men. Uh, and I said, listen, guys, for our church family and our families and our communities to repent, someone's got to start the charge. So I'll tell you what, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll, I'll get up and preach a sermon on Sunday. But I want your help. And I invited the men of our church to come and join me on stage. If you guys are interested, you know what's up. You can come on up. Uh, and then others are welcome to join in a second. But um, to join, because here's the thing. Um, if we as a people are going to hold one another accountable and we're going to seek God with all of our heart, we need to be praying over it. We need to be specific about it. And I love this group. 
Some of the guys were, had to be out of town and other things. But, and um, these represent a lot of our families. These are dads. These are business owners. These are husbands. And for their... Mm. For their spouses to see that they're willing to stand on stage, huh. not everybody's a public speaker. Uh, for their friends to see this, is a way to say, we're not, at, we're not in this by ourselves. We've got a brotherhood, and it's all believers. We need to recalculate. We need to turn our hearts to God, and that's how we stay on the road. What does that mean for you? I hope that in your heart right now, God's doing some work and it'll lead to some change in actions. And for some of you, it might mean giving your life to Jesus for the first time. I gotta make this decision. I gotta quit just coming to church. I gotta like do this thing. For some of you, it's a recommitment of a decision that you've already made. And I'm gonna do something right now that we've never done with this church. But I wanna invite you to do it. We, we say we're church for people who don't like church and, and one of the things that we mean by that is we wanna tear down some of the awkward walls that have made church awkward sometimes for people who aren't you know, initiated. Um, and so we, we don't do a lot of like asking people to come forward and do other things. Because the Bible doesn't say you have to do that. Um, but what I wanna do is invite you not to come up here. You don't have to stand up here. We're on the internet. Say hey to your mom, guys. Um, but to maybe stand in just a second, we're going to pray. Uh, maybe stand right where you are. Or maybe if you want to come, just extend the chain around. That's fine. And uh, what I want to do is take a moment of, of just silent reflection. And then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Um, and then we'll go into a time of communion. Let's turn our hearts to God. Let's go ahead and begin to repent. We'll take a second silently. And, and, if, and if you wanted to stand and join at this time, this is you too. But let's just do that. Father, repentance requires humility because it's giving up um, control and exchanging it for submission. And so we have to bow. We have to say, I don't have it figured out. You do. Father, we as a people are constantly missing the turn and needing to recalculate. And we as a people often sweep it under the rug and just pretend like it's just going to go away or get better or maybe we don't care. Father, as for me and my household and as for us and our church family, we want to serve you. May we turn our hearts to you. May we make this day a day of repentance and rededication. May those in this room who need to start a fresh walk with you, maybe they feel, may they feel the courage to do so. I thank you for these men who are standing here behind me because they represent something. They represent families and they represent our community and, and they represent leadership and they represent a lot of things. But Lord, I know from this past weekend that all of us are a mess, we're broken <laughs> and uh, without you. And so I thank you that you give us the opportunity to be made whole in you and with one another. And I know that that's true for everyone else in this room. Um, thank you, Lord. 
may we change our hearts, may it lead to a change in action, and may we not try to go back to the way things were, whether it's pre-shutdown or pre-today, but that we always move forward in your grace. I love you, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.